I'm Carlton Owen, immediate past president and CEO of the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities and a proud supporter of Keeping Forest. Keeping Forest is the producer of this podcast called How the River Flows. Keeping Forest is built on a powerful and simple idea to ensure that our region's forests have a future. We're working hard to conserve the 245 million acres of existing forests by supporting private landowners, shedding light on why this land matters, and showing what you can do to help. Every episode of How the River Flows will take a close look at the relationship between healthy forests and clean drinking water. Our experts will share their best ideas along with specific examples about conserving local forests to ensure a lasting, clean supply of drinking water to meet local needs. Each time, we'll bring you a new take on how landowners can be compensated for the tremendous environmental value that their working forests provide to everyone. You'll learn how these innovations are financed, managed, and even how your local community can join the effort in protecting our precious southern forests and the many benefits, including clean water, that they provide. So sit back and enjoy this episode of How the River Flows. Thanks, Carlton. Hi, I'm Andres Villegas, CEO of the Georgia Forestry Foundation and Georgia Forestry Association. In this episode of How the River Flows, we'll be making the case for local investment in source water protection with my guests, Dr. James McCarty and Dr. Bob Morgan. They both have been involved in an aggressive source water protection program at the Beaver Water District, a local water utility in Northwest Arkansas that supplies water to more than 350,000 people, including the residents and businesses in Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, and Bentonville. Forests and agriculture dominate the landscape, but are disappearing primarily due to the area's increased population and urbanization. This change in the landscape concerned the Beaver Water District in part because forests filter water. With less forests, there's less natural filtration, and water treatment costs could have increased. So the district studied its options. In a study, it revealed that the utility, public, and environmental benefits of watershed protection outweighed additional investments in water treatment technology. In 2016, the Beaver Water District's Board of Directors voted to dedicate four cents for every 1,000 gallons sold to a source water production fund, which generates about $750,000 a year. While there are other important examples of water authorities working together on a regional basis to ensure the longevity of their drinking water quality, the Beaver Water District stands out for its leadership in source water protection. Dr. James McCarty is the Environmental Quality Manager for Beaver Water District. He manages the district's source water protection program aimed at maintaining the quality of Beaver Lake, the source of drinking water for one in seven people in Arkansas. Dr. Bob Morgan is a retired engineer with extensive work in watershed management and source water protection. Dr. Morgan's work includes managing Beaver Water District's source water protection program, managing Arkansas's non-point source pollution program, and participation in numerous committees and councils for the American Water Works Association. Number one, thank you for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about how you guys think about ecosystem services and natural capital systems in, in your region. And we'll start off uh, with Dr. Morgan, Bob, if you would. Tell us a little bit about how that idea has evolved in your community from when you started on the front end of this project several years ago. And then, James, maybe if you could add how you're looking at that today and how your community is thinking about that and maybe how that's evolved to present day as well. And vision of ecosystem services is, is those are the the processes that nature provides to us that provide some benefit, be that clean water, abundant water, pollution control, 
resilience of the water supply, wildlife habitat, aesthetic values, you know, go on and on, spiritual values, cultural values. And those are provided just by the process, not because anybody is paying anybody to do these things. You know, air is an ecosystem service. We all need it. We all get it for free and it's there. So that's the way I see the concept. And you ask about how it's evolved since I started. And I was the manager of the source water protection program at Beaver Water District starting in 2005. And uh, then James took over. So when I retired in 2005, it wasn't a new concept at all. That, that had been around for at least 10 or 15 years, but it wasn't very widespread in normal use by economists or resource managers. It was just something that we talked about and kind of thought, yeah, that's kind of cool, but nobody's ever going to be able to use it. And then over the years, it, it became more and more obvious that there was economic value to these services and that we should be trying to capture that and measure it. And there should be then ways that we could put in programs to sustain those services. One of the things that really stood out to me was back in the early 2000s, when you use the word eco in front of anything, it kind of automatically put people in a camp of maybe being an environmental activist or of being you know, overly concerned or, or really focused in on the environment. And today, 15, 20 years later, 25 years later, the word ecosystem and eco has taken a wider meeting today. It's much more accepted. It's not necessarily uh, pro-business, anti-business, whatever that might be. It's something where we see it as a part of our communities, whether that's in the business community, whether that's in the government community, whether that's another area. So it's a term ecosystem that's required a lot of learning for a lot of people to be able to use it in their lexicon. And I think even today, and I'd um, love to hear thoughts on this, James, but you know h- how we see that apply today and, and the work that you're doing and maybe where you see that evolving into the future. When I'm thinking about ecosystem services from a watershed protection program management side, really in maintaining water quality for our source water lake, I'm thinking about ecosystem services in terms of restoring ecosystem function. So there's kind of a potential for a given piece of land as to what it can provide. Typically through human use, we're looking at, you know, potentially degraded system. And so what can we work with the landowner to do to help restore some of that ecosystem function so that it is better providing, you know, in our case, we're, we're looking at water quality functionality, but certainly a lot of our efforts are going to improve ecosystem services, other services as well, just besides, you know, water quality. So that's really kind of what I'm mainly thinking about is how how can we improve the ecosystem services within our source water watershed so that we are resulting in better water quality outcomes. You know, it's one of those things that for us as well, it, it highlights the fact that there's choices to be made, right? When it comes to both the natural capital that's generating the result that you want, you know, the restorative functions of what ecosystems can do for water as well as kind of the back end of that too, as well, the decisions that water authorities, water users have to make in order to be able to have the drinking water quality or the processed water that they need for an industrial use or whatever that might be, whether that's you know power production or production of, power of uh, paper products, food products, whatever that might be. 
And so, you know, it's really interesting when we look at the, the Beaver Water District of how kind of that methodical process of taking a look at where you wanted to be in the future, what were the trade-offs of different paths that you could take, and that kind of conscious decision of saying, you know, yes, there's technology that we can use, and yes, there's hard structure and hardscape engineering that can be put in place, which is kind of what you see in a lot of different parts of the world. I mean, it's always shocking to me to see a, a riverbed that's no longer dirt but in rocks, but actually concrete and man-made. And we see that in different parts of the world. And there's reasons for that, of course. But what's impressive to me with the Beaver Water District and what makes you guys really a leader in the Southeast was that conscious decision to be able to do the cost analysis and make that decision of putting in a basically a fee-based structure that then allowed you to go work with Alliance to be able to work with landowners. I like this idea that you're talking about with trade-offs. And it's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that even if, with ecosystem services, you know, a given piece of land is going to have a different function based on what you prioritize. So you know, around here, a lot of times we're dealing with, are we going to do food production? Are we gonna, are we gonna restore this piece of land back to pristine, you know, habitat that is gonna have the best outcome for water quality? And so there's there's those trade-offs that take place. There's no free lunch, and in a lot of cases, one thing has to be sacrificed for another. Even when we're talking about you know ecosystem services and and, and restoration acts, so that's just kind of an interesting thing to think about. A piece of land can have a great environmental benefit and provide excellent ecosystem services, certain services, and then maybe not others. So, you know, sometimes we're looking to find the greatest efficiency or maximize a benefit from a piece of property or from our watershed, really for all beneficiaries and not just us. But obviously, from a water utility perspective, we're mainly focused on those things that are going to bring about um, water quality benefits. That's a great point. And uh, one of the things that we often look at and think about the work that we do here in Georgia through the Georgia Forestry Foundation is as much as we love it to be the case, there generally is no silver bullet. And so, you know, trying to find that best solution that lasts for the longest period of time is, I think, where we find ourselves at oftentimes. And in some cases, I think forestry offers that because it is such a long-term investment for most landowners and uh, if they can make it work financially. Bob, I'd love, I'd love to hear your thoughts about where the thinking was originally when you guys started looking at this option. I think you're asking about where were we coming from when we started the idea of we don't really do a payment for ecosystem services program. We do more of a source water protection program that includes some elements of payment for ecosystem service. But I, I think we have to go back before either James or I were at Beaver Water District and in the very early 2000s, we had a director, a board of directors that were very progressive. John Lewis was one of them. But they determined of their own accord that if anybody was going to protect Beaver Lake, it had to be the border district because we were the ones that had interest in it and had some resources. So they kind of made a policy that we were going to do what it took to manage Beaver Lake. And they were serious enough about that, that they opted for source water protection over some, you know, concrete solutions that might have also worked. So we had a real good foundation from what our board was looking for. Then as we got into the program and early on, we decided we needed a watershed 
alliance. We call it the Beaver Watershed Alliance. It's watershed partnership, whatever you want to call it. A lot of people have them now. But we wanted to be sure that that alliance was sustainable, that it would be there year in, year out, even if the 319 grant didn't come through that year or, or whatever. So that was one of our real concerns, is make sure that they were around and figure out how could we fund them. We can't just give them a grant because of our bylaws, but how would we fund them and make sure that they stayed here? And, and we decided, well, okay, we can, we can pay them to implement the watershed strategy, which is basically payment-free consistent services. And we also were thinking, okay, we've got good support right now, both at our board and the community. And one of your questions mentioned how things change in the future. And we were thinking, yeah, you know, if Walmart decided to move out of town, the economy went to pot, we would have a hard time justifying money for uh, source water protection. And we thought, well, if we can get some funding that's dedicated and into the right structure, then it's much more difficult to not fund it. Whereas if we're going in to ask for a budget every year and having to justify the need for it, then that puts another big element on another, another opportunity for someone to decide the program was not in the best interest. When you had to make that decision of the funding source, was there a lot of pushback of uh, building an additional cost into the rate structure? And how did that dynamic work out initially? Okay, just kind of set the stage on that, how, how the dynamic work out on the rate structure. Beaver is a wholesale water provider. So we don't have 350,000 meters. We have four meters, one for Rogers, Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas, Springdale, Arkansas, Fayetteville, Arkansas. And the rates, the payers pay actually come right from the cities themselves. We have a rate that the cities pay us. And we have to coordinate with them on what those rates are going to be because we raise our rates. I say our, I'm no longer with them. But when Beaver raises their rates, then the cities either have to absorb the cost or raise their rates as well. And there was some pushback, actually, because most of them had just gone through rate restructuring and they didn't want to go back to their voters again and say, we need another four cents. But as it turned out, we had just gone through a, a rate structuring thing too. And uh, kind of right after that, we went through an asset management study and found ways of saving money. So we were able to say, okay, we're going to go ahead and put this fund in. It won't affect our rates until we go through another rate structure. And the cities then were happy because they didn't have to go to a special uh, ask to bring that onto their table. So that worked out well, and it shows how the district was able to consider options to get things put in place. In terms of the evolution of the thought and implementation, how did that work out in terms of finding that win-win space? Or were you able to find the the win-win scenario that we all covet? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't see a loser anywhere in here. One of our big industries is the poultry industry. And each one of those processing plants, which there are 15 or 20 in the area, uses a little over a million gallons of water a day. So four cents kind of means a lot to them. And they were a little reluctant at first, but when they found out that it was going to be built into the structures as they increased over years, then they, they were okay with it. And they've honestly been very supportive of environmental protection efforts over the years. 
you know, so that worked out. But I think in terms of the environmental programs, we have a lot of partners in the area. And with those funds, we've been able to support those partners here and there, especially the Washington Alliance and some other things, and do some things on our own that come out ahead. And uh, basically everything we do is incentive-based. So the people that are participating with us may not have an economic gain, but at least they don't have a big economic loss and they have a gain in managing their property. You know, so I'd say, yeah, we're kind of at the win-win. I'm sure I could go out in the watershed and find some people who told me otherwise, but from my standpoint, yes. Part of the win-win is that, you know, we're not the only beneficiaries of these efforts. Obviously, any amount of work that we do to restore function within the watershed and to the landscape is going to have a broader effects than just on water quality for drinking water production. You know, by reducing sediment and nutrient transport, we're reducing those loads in streams, which is obviously more healthy for in-stream biota. We are helping to maintain the water quality of the lake, which is used for recreation and various other purposes. So there's, you know, literally dozens of additional uses and functions out there that are receiving a benefit from our board of directors' decision to really engage in source water protection. And I think they recognize that too. It's a tragedy, the commons issue, you know, when you when you have this lake that really is owned by everybody and yet nobody takes responsibility for it. Our board saw that and said, hey, we're going to step into this and recognize that if we don't take care of this lake, nobody will. And so we we had the resources really to address it. We had the agency really because we're one of the main primary users of that water. So I really think it was an excellent choice by them. If you think about it from a community perspective, we're really providing a, a greater benefit than just clean, safe drinking water. That's exactly right. And in a lot of ways, it mimics the role that forests play oftentimes providing a very wide swath of benefits for society. You're absolutely right. That's a good example there. Listening to you, it made made me wonder if you ever found yourself as a bit of an outlier when you're with your colleagues from around the country explaining what, uh, what you guys have done and how successful you've been in that region and how do your colleagues and other water, water authorities react to the work that you guys have done there? With jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. I think that's why we're coming to you today, too, as well, is because we do see this as a success story that others, others should know about. What do you think holds them back from doing the same things? Well, while I was working, I, I was actively involved with the American Water Works Association on their Source Water Protection Committee and their Standards Council and the Educational Technological Council. And talk about our, our colleagues, but that's kind of like, you know, reading to the choir. They were all on board almost universally. And a lot of them would express some frustration at not being able to fund their programs the way they wanted to. But I'll tell you, there's some other programs out there that are way beyond ours. Now, more locally, I think if you went out and just surveyed water system managers, you'd find a lot of them say, yeah, it's a good idea, but we can't afford it. We're not going to do it. Or you know, it's a lot easier. I've got all I can manage, you know, with the water plant. So the concept of source water protection is not universally accepted by water managers right now. I'd have to say that. I think the more progressive systems see it as a positive. But then a lot of other systems, you know, small systems, they got one little well or something that 
or maybe they buy water from someone else. It doesn't mean Colon to them. It's kind of too far removed. Every nonprofit organization out there, especially ones that are dealing with environmental issues, are, are looking for that silver bullet of sustainable funding. So, you know, that puts us kind of in a unique position when we have it, where, where other people are really wanting to get a piece of that. And so there's, like I said, there's some jealousy out there, I think. But we try to be generous, you know, with our partners and let them know that we're, we're here to support them in their efforts as long as they're kind of in line with our goals to maintain water quality of our source. But certainly, you know, even at industry groups and at conferences and stuff, when you kind of share about your program, you, we realize just what a, a fortunate position that we've been placed in. And I certainly feel very lucky to have the resources that have been given to me to, you know, address our watershed and the lake. That's a good segue to the fact that, you know, working with that, the partners and the partnership, I guess, within your geography there has, has really been one of the pieces beyond the funding that I think has been critical to the success. And, you know, in any given watershed or, or water source, you know, multiple entities can all depend on that single watershed or water source for their water. But at the same time, those entities can be separated by, you know, differences in governance and financial and legal realities, even, you know, ordinances that limit what they can and can't do. And so, you know, I found it really interesting that the Beaver Water District also created or supported the Beaver Water Alliance, which did so much of the work that they may have not been able to do themselves. And so tell us a little bit about that, I guess, starting with Dr. Morgan, about what that vision looked like when you first got off the ground. And, and then, James, if you could come back and tell us a little bit about, you know, how that's evolved over time and, and where you see it going in the future. So are you talking about the vision of Beaver Watershed Alliance? Well, more so of how you overcame that issue of having a lot of different groups within the geography, so to speak, that touched onto the water resource of the Beaver Water District. There's maybe structural and other barriers that sometimes got in the way of people working together to achieve a goal. Let me start with the water purveyors that use Beaver as their source. And there are four of them. But, uh, you know, Beaver, and I'm not sure what the current average is, but we produce about 50 million gallons a day or so. And the other three together, maybe produce another 15 million gallons a day on average. So it's like a big brother relationship. You know, a system that produces two or three million gallons a day just does not have resources to go out and do a lot of, at least in Arkansas. Now, you know, some places they do. And I think, you know, some of the systems in Washington, these small systems have amazing source water protection funds. But there's things going on there other than protecting source water. You know, so Working with them was more difficult than I really expected. And, you know, we've got them to the point of participating in the program, and they all will support the Beaver Watershed Alliance to some extent, but it's not a dedicated support, or at least it wasn't when I retired three years ago, four years ago. But they would, you know, give them their $10,000 or $5,000, whatever it was that they could come up with in that year. So we hope over the years that they would start their own source water fund. And since Beaver was using about 80% of the water that's being produced, you know, drinking water is produced in the lake that we thought, well, we, we should be paying about 80% of it and they should together make up the other 20% out of their funds. Now, when we look at our partners in the program, there's, gosh, I don't know, 20 different groups or so that we work with. 
And one of our visions, you know, back in when we were starting in 2005 was, okay, Beaver Water District can't be the conservation expert or the, the roads expert, you know, the wildlife expert, we're the water experts. And we need to work with these other groups to help them do what they do and help them do it well. So we made a special effort to go out and partner with conservation districts, extension service, other nonprofits. There's one that does stream restoration in the area, land trust, actually two land trusts that we were working with when I left. I don't know what we have now. And we were, even in 2005 and six, we were a small source of funding for them. Like they could come to us and get part of their matching for grants they're applying for or in-kind matching because we had our technicians would be working on the project as well. We went out of our way to help them to meet their goals whenever we could, when those goals were consistent with our goals. And that really helped us build a good relationship with those different groups. Then the Watershed Alliance, we saw that as a way of getting more people in different industries involved so that they would be working without too much influence from Beaver and working that way we thought we could bring more partners into the, the fold. And that's worked out pretty good over the years. That that was where we were headed, constrained by our resources and our time we had to get out and work with people, but that was it. We went to lots and lots and lots of meetings. I bet. I bet. Yeah. And that's you know the challenge of alliances that you, you need them, but they can also take a lot of energy and time. So how has that evol- evolution been, James? How do you see the alliances and the partnerships working today, and where do you see them going in the future? Yeah, the beauty of the Beaver Watershed Alliance is that its board is made up of a very diverse interest group. So you have board members who work for a drinking water treatment plant. You had board members who are in in municipalities. You have industry groups. You have landowners. You've got conservation and recreation. And all of these people are coming together on a board really to govern this organization. And you wouldn't think it would work, um, but they make it work. And I, I really don't know how, you know, Bob and others before us were able to, you know, put this whole thing together. I'm sure it was very difficult, but it just seems to be working really well. You would think that there'd be more arguments and, you know, more conflicts of interest, but really you'd be surprised at the level of support on the board and really the lack of ulterior motives. There's just a genuine concern for the watershed and for water quality and for making improvements, which is, it's just been really nice to work with a great group of professionals who really care about their region. So that's awesome. So we've got the Beaver Watershed Alliance, and they're kind of the focal point for carrying out our watershed protection strategy. But we also have all of these little satellite groups around them. Like Bob was saying, we've got a really great land trust in the area that works with us to establish conservation easements where we are really preserving the environmental benefit of those pieces of land so that, as you alluded to earlier in the segment, we've got a lot of development going on. And so if we can capture the environmental benefit of a piece of property and conserve it, you know, that's one more thing that we don't have to worry about down the road. We've got restoration specialists with the Watershed Conservation Resource Center where they are doing stream restoration We've got a, an $8 million program going on right now to restore almost a full mile of stream in one of our heavily impacted tributaries to Beaver Lake. We've got, you know, 
partnerships with Game and Fish and with various industries, the Walton Family Foundation, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So there's just, as Bob said, you know, probably 20 or 30 different groups that we have either worked with in the past or working with right now. And we can lean on, you know, for their help. And we hope that they kind of turn around and, and lean on us for our help as well. At the end of the day, with our Source Water Protection Fund, it's really about leveraging that to do more work within the watershed. You know, if I have a million dollars to spend in a year, I'm not going out and looking where I can spend that million dollars, whether that's best management or, or supporting an education program. I'm looking at what partners can I bring along with us to get more money. So I want to turn that million dollars into $2 million or $4 million via state, federal, industry grants, things like that. So really, we make it a goal to try to leverage that money for additional funding and really to make it stretch. Because, you know, a million dollars, it seems like a lot of money, but it goes pretty quick, especially when you're talking about stream restoration and things like that. You could spend a million dollars and get about a quarter mile of stream done, which isn't a whole lot. Where do I see this going in the future? You know, that's a really great question. The Watershed Alliance right now is revising its protection strategy. It's been about 10 years since they've really taken a hard look at it. And you know, collectively with the help of lots of other organizations, the district as well, we're looking at the strategy and saying, do we need to kind of modify our course, modify our objectives? Is what we're doing working? And so in asking ourselves those questions, you know, we're going to come back to the table and possibly come up with some different solutions, some different approaches towards programs within the watershed. And I think, you know, really any program, whether that's a, you know, industry, commercial or environmental program really needs that periodic review so that you can course correct. So that's kind of the process that we're in right now is that course correction process, asking ourselves kind of those tough questions of, you know, is the past 15 years of effort, what have we done right? What have we done, you know, not so well? And what can we, you know, improve looking into the future? Well, it sounds like it's a, obviously a very resilient structure of partnerships as well as funding that's allowed you to punch above your weight. It's one of the things that has made you know, Northwest Arkansas really kind of a, a flagship in conservation and source water protection is just the level of partnerships, the level of connectivity with the partnerships. We all work really well together. There's a strong desire to work together and to get things done. And I'm just really grateful for that to, to have been able to step into that role and just realize the level of coordination and help that takes place here in Northwest Arkansas. Sounds like it's also a model for economic growth in a balanced way that can be done in a way that also is in harmony, I guess, with the environment. So making sure that it's sustainable over time. So from the names that you mentioned before. You know, I think you may have touched on this a little bit earlier, but maybe we can dig into it a little bit more is, you know, things do change, right? And you address that with the look back or the current look and at how the Alliance works and where you're going in the future. Is there anything else you'd want to talk about related to how to adapt to change over time? One thing that we found out early on was the water sector and the forest sector just don't talk. And to the point of we in the water industry didn't understand the concept of forest management, and they in the forest industry didn't understand the concept of, uh, you know, lake management. And we didn't understand the constraints that each of us had. You know, the, the district doesn't have unlimited money. We have what our ratepayers give us. And, you know, we didn't understand that, well, they also have profit motive or something that they have to keep going. And we've had three forest and water forums now statewide and one local one. And I really think there was a lot of benefit in just having the two groups get together, kind of getting them where they can't go out and meet with other people, you know, kind of have to 
stay around and talk and get to know each other. And that opens up those, you know, one-on-one relationships that I don't know about the rest of the South, but in Arkansas, everything happens face-to-face. Unfortunately, now it's Zoom to Zoom. But uh, once you know the manager of Weyerhaeuser or, or somebody, it's a lot easier to give them a call and get listened to. And same with them. They can call you and get your ideas or collaborate on projects and things. And to me, that's where you have to go. It's just develop that one-on-one relationship. Yes, sir. James? Yeah, I think Bob's exactly right. There was a communication issue, and we're still working on that here in Arkansas. But we've kind of had these forums over the last few years, and it's been really excellent participating in those forums and getting to meet a lot of forestry industry professionals. You know, for instance, I've got our state forester's cell phone number. We're on, you know, a first-name basis. And I guess it doesn't seem weird to me, but when I think about it, that is kind of strange that you know, me working in the water water industry, you know, knows our state forester directly. So developing those relationships, I think, is really key. One of the things that I think was really interesting for me in participating in those forums and getting to know the industry better was just the level of protection and effort that was already taking place within the forestry industry where water quality was concerned, whether that's, you know, staying out of riparian right-of-ways or riparian setbacks or using ground cover and things like that. There's a strong desire within Arkansas and within the industry to do the right thing where forestry is concerned. And that was just really encouraging and garnered a lot of goodwill between our two groups, I think, just to see how much effort was taking place to protect a resource that's really important to us, water. Well, thank you. I'd, I'd like to thank you, Dr. James McCarthy and Dr. Bob Morgan, for your time today. The leadership that you both demonstrated with the Beaver Water District in Arkansas is definitely inspiring for us here in Georgia and throughout the rest of the southeastern United States. And uh, hopefully one day we'll be on the other side of the podcast uh, telling folks how successful our programs and our watersheds are, are doing here with programs similar to yours. So thank you once again for your leadership and for sharing your thoughts and time with us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Andres. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I'd like to share my sincere thanks to Dr. James McCarty and Dr. Bob Morgan. Their insights and perspectives on source water protection have been very valuable for today's podcast, and we hope that'll be useful for water authorities and source water protection managers around the country, and in particular the southeastern United States, as they weigh options for the future of their drinking source water. The music in the podcast is by Chuck Lavelle. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to How the River Flows. Join us next time as we explore the connections between healthy forests and clean water and see how others have built a partnership that benefits all. You can listen to How the River Flows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Carlton Owen.